welcome to a really fun and insightful episode of Leading with Joy, dedicated to finding joy in an increasingly complex world of advanced technology and AI. Uh, It's a timely episode too, given last week's AI Safety Summit here in the UK and next week's Web Summit in Lisbon. Joining us today is Paul Doling, a visionary who's melded technology and art in ways most of us could only dream of. Paul, CEO and founder of Mindstream AI and DreamBlocks, is not just a respected voice in the world of AI acceleration and Web3 venture building, including his involvement in the London startup and deep tech communities, but he's also an AI artist better known as Flux, all of which lend him a unique perspective on the subject of creating joy through AI. Paul's career has been full of truly extraordinary experiences that brought him joy, which is why I invited him to share all of that with us. From selling the world's first commercial LCD to creating the first digital healthcare ecosystem and now to the avant-garde realm of AI art, Paul talks about technology as a conduit to joy rather than just an end in itself. And I love how he describes the current AI evolution as releasing genie from the bottle. Uh, we discussed the AI Safety Summit and his take on AI regulation, frontier AI models, and striking a balance between risk and vast prospects. Paul's artistic pursuits with AI are groundbreaking. He leverages AI's capabilities to craft original art. Flux, his alter ego, epitomizes personal evolution and fluidity in a rapidly changing world. Oh, and uh, did I mention this guy really gets the value of embedding self-compassion as part of a morning routine ritual? Uh, He locks 10,000 steps by 9 a.m., setting a productive tone for the day ahead. Paul, welcome to Leading with Joy. I wanted to bring you on the show from the moment we met a couple months ago. And for those listening, I invited Paul to join the inaugural alumni debate at London Business School, where we debated the design ethos guiding AI development. It was a fascinating conversation scheduled for something about 90 minutes, right? And I think we went on for over two hours. And you're one of the trailblazers in championing and building artificial intelligence. And I wanted to bring some of that vibe to share with the listeners today and explore finding joy in an increasingly complex technology world. Hi, Marty. Uh, Good to join you. And um, yeah, I guess when I first saw the word joy in the context of what you're doing, um, it immediately um, raised questions for me. In in a way, it's a a strange word. I think it's slightly quaint in the sense it's, it's often replaced by, I think, happiness and stuff like that, that people probably use in more um, everyday language. So it did make me start to think about, you know, wh- where, what was the difference between, for example, joy and happiness. But I guess the best way to think about this is what it means for me, as you, as you uh, correctly asked. And I think for me, it's a kind of flow. It's a kind of condition of flow where I'm, you know, everything is aligned and I feel um, a sense of w- well-being Um because I've kind of got all my ducks in a row, um, the various things that I do, the technology and the art, and uh, I guess a, a, a sense of creativity. It doesn't really matter whether it's in business or whether it's in uh, in art. Um, for me, that kind of flow is the period of, of uh, happiness. It kind of come, just comes on uh, for me. I, I just can be literally uh, walking the streets, listening to music, 
um, and then it just appears. <laughs> and, uh, and therefore, you try to think of ways in which to make that situation last for longer and be more frequent. Yeah, I love what you said. It just appears, and you know when you're in a state of joy. And in the context of your three decades of amazing experience in creating joy through technology, um, how's your perception of finding joy evolved with the advancements that we've seen in tech over the decades? I think, in a way, the technology is is really the medium for me to to find joy, rather than you know the technology itself being the joy. Um, I think, as a as a creative person, I'm I'm really uh, intrigued by you know the latest shiny new thing, um, and I think a lot of people see that as almost an insult, you know, that you chase the latest shiny thing. But for me, as a creative person, I'm just intrigued by. Uh, something that's new and challenging, um, and that that so uh, for a long time I've really been chasing that. I think almost since my late teens or early twenties, um, when I first got involved in technology, I never really wanted um, my life to be just like turning a handle. And even if turning that handle meant uh, turning a handle to create money, um, that would still bore me uh, to death. It's exactly the same thing as as with art, you know. Um, you know, art. You want to do something new. You want to challenge yourself. You don't want to just create something that, uh, that somebody created the day before or that's been or that's derivative. I think technology gives possibility of stepping away from derivative things to areas that are totally new and totally new business models. It literally gives me joy. You're the CEO and founder of Mindstream AI and DreamBlocks, a phenomenal uh, ventures. In the context of what you just said, technology being a medium, helping you create these joyous experiences, what are some of those digital products, experiences that you created over the years that gave you joy and also gave joy to those who used them to the everyday users well they've been very very different i mean and and i guess they've kind of evolved you know this very point about evolving technology so they've ranged they've raised ranged right from the beginning of my uh, career when i was a salesman and um i literally sold the world's first liquid crystal uh, display for airports and railways you know these big departure no way boards? no yeah. way okay and the world's first was um was Paddington Station, um, you know, back in the 1970s, I suppose. And um, up until that point, uh, uh, displays were electromechanical devices. They were boards that flipped around using electromagnets and stuff like that. So they had lots of moving parts. And it, no it, way. Yeah. No way. <laughs> um, and, and, and actually, I remember it did give me joy. Um, I mean, even remember the joy to this very day because it was quite a tough thing. First of all, I'd never sold anything before in my life. And I'd been given this as a challenge by a very daring boss, really, because, I mean, he was taking a huge risk on me. And just a few weeks before that, he actually said to me, he said, Paul, you are going to sell something one day, aren't you? And I said, yeah, yeah, have faith, have faith. I'll sell something. Um, but when I sold it, it was it was the biggest thing the company had ever sold by a long, like, probably by about a factor of 10. It was also the, you know, it was, it was the first, the biggest in the world. And so I kind of, I kind of entered the stage of sales. Uh, it, it was a very, very big bang. I, I was immediately, I went from kind of zero to hero. Um, and it, it's always been my trademark ever since. I really, I really don't enjoy um, kind of selling 
small things, uh, in, uh, incremental things, because I always said to myself, it almost takes as much work to sell something small as to sell something big. And so I think since then, I've really uh, had a career of selling things that have been kind of firsts, really. Uh, you know, so I've, I've sold the first of many things. And as I suppose at the end of my, towards the end, more towards where, you know, the present day, I would say the example would be, I built an ecosystem around King's Cross for AI and health. And I think I was the first. And I think I was the instigator. And no normal person wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to build an ecosystem, um, which, you know, I did through um, Mindstream. Um, and as the catalyst to the ecosystem, I went to the Crick Institute and I proposed that we do a an accelerator for, for startups as an annual thing, which is now still running six years later. But again, it looked kind of audacious. Um, you know, the, 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 I was knocking on the door, door of an institution who had never heard of what an accelerator even was. Um, so I, you know, had to go right from the process of saying, you know, what, why they were in a world-class ecosystem, why they needed to uh, create an, a, an accelerator program. And so again, I, you get that moment of joy when you, you know, when you break through. You've you've got the thing running, and it's a success. Actually, these things bring you joy. We've got a first here in the UK. The recent AI safety summit, um, hosted just outside of London, emphasised the challenges and risks of artificial intelligence, especially concerning frontier AI. And it's the first of its of this type of co global conversations. And maybe you can also help the listeners um, uh, understand what Frontier AI is. So I'm wondering, how do you see the role of continuing to design for these joyous experiences as a guiding principle, as, a, as the design ethos, as you did um, uh, with the Paddington display, as you did with the accelerators? How do you see the role of designing for these experiences continue while we prioritize safety and regulation? Well, I think um, we're probably entering into what is possibly the most complex kind of human situation that we've we've ever encountered, I would say, you know, because these frontier models, you know, you asked me about an explanation. Uh, th these are these very, very complex and very powerful AI models that allow you to do things like text to video, text to image, chat GPT examples, mid-journey and so on. And they're becoming they're becoming more and more powerful almost on a weekly basis. So you've got, you know, all the issues of deep fakes and, you know, the, the existential risk of these models becoming so powerful they can take over, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of these risks are very real risks. Um, you know, they're not imaginary risks. But on the other side of the equation, you've got this incredible potential. You know, they, they, I heard this morning that you know, some of these models can now uh, do a job of uh, detecting certain types of cancers twice as well as a, as, a, as a biopsy or something like that. So in health, a massive um, potential gains, the same in climate change, the same in education, uh, in so many different ways. And then there's all the economic benefits of being super efficient and things like that. So I think that, um, you know, some some of us, I think, have to be essentially uh, tech optimists. And this is perhaps where the joy for somebody like me would come in, because, you know, I, I get a joy from this, um, this change, this, this potential um, and being 
a part of this potential. But on the other side of the coin, you do need the skeptics and the cynics um, who look at it from the other um, angle. You do need these guide rails. Um, and, and not least because even for the optimists, um, unless the guide rails are there, the optimists are going to uh, are going to fail anyway because the, the models will be shut down or, you know, it only it only needs a few bad things to happen in the world. And the optimist story goes out of the window anyway. So I think you've got to have a measured approach, which, you, uh, you know, whichever, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, you've got to be able to see both sides of the story. And it's a terrible cliche, but the genie has been let out of the bottle. Um, you know, people are using this, these uh, tools now en masse. So I think it's been a good week this week, I think, for um, raising the public debate. But it's not just the AI summit. You know, the executive order from, from Biden on AI, which covered the same ground, came out the day before the um, uh, AI summit. So a little bit of comp international global competition there, um, which you know, it had a whole set of guardrails in, in it. Um, and then, I, in a way, it kind of got ratified by the last two days in uh, Bletchley Park uh, at the summit. Um, I was at one of the fringe summit events at the British Library, and I met some really great people. I think you're, what you're seeing there is a lot of very, very earnest people, often involved in things like public regulation and safety, and there's quite a, a big body of people you know, who I think will, will rightly challenge the potential harms of uh, AI. Um, but as I said, I think this is a good thing. I think it's a good thing that we've got this in the public eye. Genie's out of the bottle. And I actually, <laughs> I'd like to add, Genie's out of the bottle and the bottle's been broken, right? So how do we now create a healthy home for Genie to do their thing, right? <laughs> Exactly. How much do we want uh, government uh, to side with big tech and AI to create things for us? That's quite a dangerous combination, and it potentially shuts out startups and individuals and puts us under their control. So I'm, another uh, way to, to visualize this is almost the four-box model, where you look at centralized, decentralized, and open source and closed sources for elements of a box. For a lot of applications, you probably want open source decentralized. In other words, you want to own your own data and you want to be able to you know, work on your own data through open source coding, et cetera, et cetera. This is kind of the, the free version of this way where you're, you don't have massive constraint, but you still have your ownership of your own data. But you probably don't want that for military uses of AI. You probably want you probably want closed data and you probably want it to be centralized, you know, uh, because it it could get in the hands of bad actors or whatever. So I think that four box model is a very useful way to think about where you want to be for particular elements of AI. Building on what you mentioned, being an optimist and enjoying uh, the art of creating, you have an alter ego named Flux, who's a digital artist. And I visited Flux's Instagram, and I see a lot of surrealism in their art, Dali's illuminated uh, pleasures, the persistence of memory, and of course, uh, long legs of the uh, evening hope uh, immediately come to mind. 
I'm really intrigued. Uh, where does Flux find inspiration? As and is Flux an AI artist? I think first of all, I'd say that it's great privilege, I suppose, to, that's brought by technology to be able to have these ultra egos in the first place. You know, it's probably the first time in history um, when uh, any of us can maybe even have multiple um, different uh, personalities. You know, we could have one for LinkedIn. We could be maybe a different person on Facebook and a different person on Instagram. And and I think it solves some problems because it's always used to be very difficult to be able to explain away, you know, these different personalities um, when you were having to put, go to the world with a common uh, front. So, and I find it very, very playful, I suppose, and joyful um, is to, to be able to play with these um, different personalities. And so, you know, Flux uh, has some common uh, elements to uh, Paul Dowling um, and to um, my sort of technical business side, but it also uh, probably allows me to be a lot more sort of playful than than I would be uh, otherwise. And I guess its influence really goes back w- right back to the start. It's perhaps the same driver as to why I sold the first liquid crystal. It, it's wanting to be to change things it's wanting to be different and you know the people i admired as a teenager you know i'm thinking about people like david bowie and um you know i, I guess uh, you know late, later people like uh, andy warhol and um i'm always looking at people who are able to change but able to change multiple times you know not the people who can do one big thing um uh, one-trick ponies. I, I think what I'm really interested in is those people who are in a constant state of actually a flux. That's the meaning of of, of flux. Mm, it's change, mm. and so yes, uh, yes, yes. So, so change is something that frightens most people, um, and it often change is often seen as a bad thing. Right? Whereas I think you know embracing change is playful and fun. And when I so when I create art, in a way, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to subvert the AI. So I am using AI. The answer to the question is, it, you know, it is AI art. Um, but if you just simply put prompts into these um, into these engines like Midjourney, you kind of get the result that Midjourney wants to give you. Um, it, it, it has a kind of balancing uh, element to it that kind of creates a kind of almost like um, a lowest common denominator because it's taking all known art and putting it together. And what I try to do is subvert it really by 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 throwing a spanner in the works. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it could be a literal spanner. I could I could I could ask it to combine a um, an image of a spanner and an image of a person, and that's a, that you know that gives it some challenges because these are two very very different objects. So that's kind of the, my modus operandi uh, for art is to try to subvert the AI. And is Flux going to come into the hybrid world? Do you see Flux having a an exhibition one day? Yes, I previously had exhibitions for my um, painted works. Of course, um, then happened was that it, my time came because suddenly two things happened uh, to really uh, um, influence a conventional artist. One was Web3, which allowed us to create digital art and even monetize it through the NFTs and the way that the blockchain um, captures um images and uh, authenticates them and allows you to to um 
to monetize them, really. Um, and then, of course, the second thing was Gen AI suddenly came along right on the tail of that and suddenly gave us like, almost like a new uh, toolbox of, uh, you could almost see it like being given a, a massive set of new brushes and different types of paint and different materials. It gave you a whole new set of assets, really, um, to, to, to play with. So, yeah, I am, um, I'll, I'll definitely uh, be involved in some uh, what you might call artistic sort of endeavors. You know, I think mainly maybe to do with projects that I'll run myself. Um, so I'll be running things like creative accelerators and 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 those types of things. So as so far, I've been sitting on a few panels uh, to do with um, AI art and and the like. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll definitely be exhibiting. Excellent, and, and keep us posted. I'd love to come in person or virtually, and I'm sure many of the listeners as, would as well. I like to leave with a moment of reflection and challenge what is the one thing you would ask the listeners to challenge themselves on uh, perhaps do more of uh, do something differently in creating and experiencing and then leading with joy in the in the quick moving world into the web three era you've just highlighted yeah i think i would ask them to embrace change embrace the flux as it were but i would say particularly to to remain open-minded about technology itself and to realize that actually anybody can play with technology. So be playful. Go on to a uh, mid-journey or one of these um, large language models and just treat it like a canvas, like um, something to play with. Don't be afraid of it. I think the reason why most people potentially uh, will get left behind by this technology is just simply a reluctance to go and play with it and just be as crazy as you can with it. I mean, don't don't be afraid. Grasp the tools that are now available to you. Record a song, you know, go on to an AI, uh, get it to record a, a song, record a video, make a video. Suddenly, these things have become easy. And But the thing is, you have to realize it's easy and you have to do it. Um, that's the main thing. And rather than be too much of a cynic, holding back and letting the technology overtake you. And I love the fact that all these advancements uh, democratize technology and allow us all to be trailblazers, um, whether it be artists, singers, creators, scientists. Um, the world is full of opportunity and the world is full of opportunity for creating joy. Uh, and I think that's, as you say, that's what the technology uh, enables. Yep. Thank you so much for sharing with us your wisdom and thank you for creating the world that's a bit more joyous every day. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.